going to take a little bit of an opportunity here to put you on the spot a little, put you all on the spot. And, but this is going for those people who were here the Sunday before last. Uh, if, you're, if you weren't here the Sunday before last, you, you might be a little off the hook. But if you remember in our message from Daniel, chapter 9, jumping back into this series, two weeks ago, we discussed a prayer. We discussed a very powerful prayer Daniel brought before the Lord. Do you remember that? We did this together. And we established with this prayer, at this point in the book of Daniel, our lead character and uh, his fellow Israelites' time of exile in ancient Babylon, how this was going to be drawing to a close. This is according to the words of the prophet Jeremiah. And how this very uncertain yet very grateful servant of God appealed to God's mercy and grace in prayer. And then I asked the question, do you wonder what could happen if people today, if people in this country, if we would pour our hearts out to our maker like Daniel did? I don't know if you remember me. I asked that question. Here comes the moment of truth. Did anyone take some time? Did you take some time over the last couple weeks during our time of exile here in modern Babylon to go somewhere, maybe pray that prayer, to make it your intent to go plainly before God, to begin to depend honestly and wholly on the Lord as he is revealed in Scripture to us. And if you haven't started really communicating with God in your prayer life, brothers and sisters, why not? Why haven't you? For those of you who are already praying like Daniel, begun that process in our text. You can look back at Daniel chapter 9, verses 16 to 20. That was the text that we based that off of. Good for you. Good for you. If you've already started doing that, if that's a part of your walk, uh, your spiritual journey, keep that up. Keep that going. Don't let that drop. Don't let that fall to the wayside. Keep, keep at it. Keep allowing the Lord to work faithfully in your life. He's promised to do that. For the rest of us, if we're Christians, yet we feel out of touch with Jesus, we have another question we have to ask ourselves. Why do we choose pride over prayer? Why do we do so? There's an old preacher's story about a pilot, a professor, a preacher, and a young boy traveling on a plane. The plane began losing its power. There were only three parachutes on the plane, and it was obvious to everyone that someone was going to be forced to go down with the plane. Immediately, the pilot of the plane grabbed a parachute pack and strapping it on said, I for one don't believe in the captain going down with his ship. Jumping out of the plane, he was gone. The story continues. The professor grabbed another pack, strapped it on and said, I'm a man whose past will show one thing. I'm the smartest man in the world. And therefore, I'm too important to go down with this plane. He too jumped out of the plane and was gone. The preacher quickly, turning to the boy, said, I've lived my life, and I'm ready to die. You have your whole life in front of you. Young man, why don't you take the last parachute, and I'll go down with the plane. The boy looked at the man and replied, You don't have to do that, mister. 
I'm a boy scout, and the smartest man in the world just jumped out of the plane with my knapsack. What does the Bible say about pride? It goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs 16, 18. And the professor in this story was certainly brought to a, a great fall, which is what happens to us when we resist the one who is above us. And so I do more than, than challenge you as we're drawing near the end of this series out of the book of Daniel, I, I urge you to press on in your prayer life, to begin to pray like Daniel, in humility before God, desiring his will alone for your life. We're going to talk more about how Daniel did just that in chapter 10 of this text that bears his name. We find Daniel here in this uh, part of the book. He's now uh, lived his 80s. He's living under the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia. The Bible tells us here in Daniel chapter 10, verse 1. You can open your Bibles if you care to. The date is around 537 B.C. This is where we fall on the timeline. 537 years before Christ. And as promised by earlier prophecy to Jeremiah, once again, the Jewish captives are starting to return to Jerusalem. They're starting to come back home under the reign of Cyrus. And as we talked uh, two weeks ago, Daniel's attitude at this point could have been one of excitement, maybe even fulfillment. And besides, if you're going to spend your entire life exiled to a foreign kingdom in the year BC, uh, 500 B.C., you might as well enjoy the best of what 500 B.C. has to offer, right? Daniel could have done just that in these golden years he could have said well retirement's here it's been a long life in babylon but my days as a servant are, are are at the end right you know i got the best food i got the best wine i got the the best brute cologne or whatever it's 500 bc counterpart was maybe something off a camel i'm living the good life now people are going home my people that's right this could have been where Daniel was coming from at this point. One of pride? Why not? But it wasn't. What does the Bible say about this octogenarian's attitude at the start of this Jewish transition? Look in your Bibles with me. Daniel 10, 2 and 3. Not like he was the smartest man in the world. Verse 2 says, In those days I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. Now why in the world, we may ask, was, was Daniel in this state? Mourning. I mean, he's dedicated his life to serving God faithfully in Babylon. He's starting to see his people return from home, prophecies being fulfilled. What's the problem? Well, for one thing, we've been talking about this. Daniel's been kicking around some visions in his head for years, hasn't he? Some visions, images from God 
about rams and goats and princes and the holy city. And we've talked about these over the last few weeks. And certainly his desire to understand all this has kept him up a night or two. We know Daniel has been having visions for years. He's been troubled by these visions, even driven physically ill by them. Chapter 8. Most recently, he's had a vision of, of war been revealed to him in chapter 9. We can certainly understand, though Daniel had been a man of fervent prayer, he was still a man of great nationalistic concern through that prayer. This could account for it. But why else could Daniel have been in this state, this state of mourning, as the Bible says? Well, perhaps the return from Babylonian exile as his people are returning home, maybe this wasn't moving along as smoothly as the people had hoped. You know, no doubt, Daniel had spent countless hours before the throne of God about Israel. Countless hours in prayer. But in their newfound freedom, they were struggling. They were struggling. The book of Ezra tells us in chapter 3 of the weeping of the older Jewish generations over the loss of the temple of Jerusalem. Now, there was a new temple that was being constructed at their return, but its former glory was absent to some who had seen the previous temple. And back in exile, this could certainly have hit home with Daniel, right? You know, uh, not only was he unable to be present for the work being done, but he knew he would never be able to go back home anyway. And you know that expression, you, you can never go back home again? Sometimes that hits home with us a little too literally. When I was about 21, I moved from my uh, small town of Rochester, Indiana, to a much bigger town, the city of Fort Wayne, about an hour east of it on the map. And I spent some time there. I, I kind of floated from one job to the next before I uh, picked up my ball and went back home, finally moved back home. And I attempted to pick up right where I'd left off with an old job and old relationships. If you've ever tried to do that, if you've ever, if you've ever tried to pick up a position or a friendship even right where it was after you've uh, had a break there, a break in commitment, you, you may not find it impossible to do so. But you may also find as people and circumstances move on, people change in your absence, I found you just can't go back home again, right? And the Jews back in Jerusalem were likely finding this to be true. Another likely reason for uh, Daniel's mourning in chapter 10 may have been due to the enemies of his people. The enemies. The Bible says they were seeking to wreak havoc on the Jews returning from Babylon to keep them from rebuilding the temple. Again, uh, you might make a note of Ezra, chapter 4. But regardless of the reason for the mourning, Daniel brought himself low before God, and God responded to Daniel from on high. Look, look back at the end of Daniel 10, verse 1 here in your Bibles. And the word was true, that is the word from God. It was, and it was a great conflict. And he, he is Daniel, he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. And this was a selfless state of mind he was in. Daniel was under this three-week prayer, self-denial for the sake of his people, the sake of his nation. And then the Bible says on the 24th day in turn, he receives a direct vision encounter with God. Let's read verses 4 to 6 from our Bibles. 
On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Alpaz around his waist. Verse 6. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. We'll stop there. Daniel's receiving here what we'd call a theophany. That's a fancy word meaning a visible manifestation of God. Theophany in Scripture. And as one commentary points out, this description of the heavenly being is very similar to that of Jesus Christ given in Revelation chapter 1, verses uh, 13 to 15, very possible. That Jesus himself is making a pre-incarnate, pre-Bethlehem appearance to Daniel. And by the way, Daniel's so, uh, so shaken up by what he's witnessing that he passes out, verse 9. And the text also says that there are other people surrounding Daniel at the time of this vision. They don't see the vision, but they're terrified enough by what they do experience that they go running for the hills. So often we like to think, boy, I sure wish I could see God. No, you don't. <laughs> wish God had dropped by so I could know he exists. No. Look what happens. God has a reason for the vision, as he says in verse 14, to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. This was following all these prayers. All this time, uh, Daniel had been going to God about the Israelites. Even at the end of their exile, the Jews needed God to show up and make things right. And when was that going to happen? The time was now, but he was already at work. He was already at work. We're going we're gonna to talk about that more in a minute. But I love how the Lord appears. He comes to Daniel and immediately lifts him up from the ground, verse 10. And, and you know, all the while, he's, Daniel's literally shaking in his boots. Lord gives him some strength. Then what does the Lord do? First thing he does is he tells his servant Daniel how much he loves him. That's the first thing. First thing he does. First five words in verse 11 are, O Daniel, man greatly loved. O Daniel, man greatly loved. Let's note this. Let's note this if we're taking notes. Uh, sometimes we hear biblical skeptics talk about uh, supposed contradictions Scripture offers in regards to God's nature. You know, uh, God didn't really get real loving until Jesus. You know, some people will throw this kind of thing at us. Uh, satirical songwriter Randy Newman of Toy Story and Short People fame, for example, wrote that God's voice is, quote, voiceful of anger from the Old Testament and a voice of love from the new one. This is a cliche that we run into about God often from the biblically disinterested and itself contradicts what the Old and New Testament reveals about Yahweh. For God so loved the world in the New Testament that he what? For God so loved Daniel that he sends a word and a vision. This is a God who is consistently revealed to us as love. 1 John 4, 7, and always acts out of love. And we see this right away in our highlighted text. Right away. First thing he says. And let's read the text in its entirety this morning, uh, 10 to 12. It's our highlighted text today. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man, greatly loved. 
Understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Verse 12. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. And that's the end of our highlighted text this morning. And based on it, I believe there are two things moving forward we can understand about God and how he views us in relationship to him based on this encounter with Daniel. The first one we've already mentioned, God loves us. Let's start there. God loves us. The second is this, God responds to our prayers, guaranteed. God responds to our prayers. But sometimes we must be persistent in those prayers before we're aware of a response persistent you know, sometimes in our spiritual journey we're we're tempted to forget about god's promises aren't we or maybe we think we've prayed to god long enough about a situation he's not going to do anything about this i knew a young child in the family years ago whose favorite prayer was right before he'd sit down and, and eat a meal and it went like this thank you for the food amen that's it thank you for the food amen you do it enough times in a row, you sound like one of those auctioneers. It was like a race, and so was the meal. This kind of prayer is cute when you're four years old, but if we're still saying those kinds of prayers, thinking in those kinds of terms, when we're grown or supposedly growing in the faith, there's a big problem in our spiritual life. Daniel begged. Daniel pleaded. Daniel fasted. Daniel wore sackcloth and ashes and devoted himself to constant, humble, careful communion with God in such a devoted manner. The Bible says he neglected to even take care of himself. He was so dedicated to his prayer life. An ongoing petition to heaven. This time it had been three weeks in length, but this was after a lifetime of spiritual outpouring. Now look Look in your Bibles with me, verses 13 to 14, and then jump down to verses 20 to 21 in the text. This is where we find out why Daniel had to wait so long for an answer to his prayers. Comes down to what? A delayed response from above because of spiritual warfare below. Spiritual warfare. While Daniel was on his knees for God's people, a great battle was raging for them. A great battle was raging. And then look at verse 20. What was happening on the physical front? What was happening? And this gives us a clue here in the text. Persian power, the power that was over the people. It was soon to give way to the Greeks. The history books tell us that King Darius was trying to expand Persia clear into mainland Europe. Beginning in 499 B.C., the Greco-Persian Wars would be fought for half a century. And we know Greece would come out on top eventually, don't we? Becoming one of the largest empires in the ancient world by the mid-300s. Do you think this was an accident or do you think God was at work? God's people would be brought one step closer to the kingdom of God with Jesus Christ arriving in that Greco-Roman world several hundred years later. So God's answer to Daniel's prayers came through. But was it in a method or in a timing that Daniel could have ever guessed? I doubt it. 
when we physically pray, when we physically pour ourselves out, the prayers that God would will us to pray, we need to remember that the events in the world around us, the events in our lives, might just take a back seat on God's course to what's happening in the spiritual realm. That's not easy. That's not easy for us. But it was difficult for God's people in those days as well. We want everything to go smoothly in our lives, in the physical world around us. And so did the Jews. Israel was even used to thousands of years of revelation from the Lord in the physical sense. Think about the way God worked in the Old Testament, their deliverance out of Egypt to their conquering of the promised land. This kind of physical revelation and physical confirmation from heaven was the entire reason for the temple being built. 1 Kings 5. But with the first coming of Christ, several hundred years after Daniel, the deliverance of God's people, this was now to be an entirely spiritual matter. The kingdom of God on earth would no longer be limited to physical borders, like those Jerusalem temple walls. And in chapter 10, and please don't miss this point, in chapter 10, Daniel had his eyes opened to the reality of this spiritual realm, the, the place where the battle continues today beyond the prayers of God's people. Ephesians 5.12. When we're praying our prayers, what God would will for our best interests is based on the spiritual, is based on eternal. Absolutely. We should pray for the deliverance of uh, a terminally, physically ill brother in Christ, for example, keeping in mind that God's plan may be to take that brother home. That's deliverance. That's not easy. In the same way, as Daniel prayed, God was working to bring the nation of Israel freedom. It was the agenda. It was the plan, but not in a way, not in a method, not in a timing the Jews would see coming for centuries. But we can trust God because he's faithful to his faithful servants, isn't he? He's faithful. Let me return the question again to you this morning. Have you poured out your hearts? Your hearts about your family, about your church, about your country to your maker like Daniel did 2,500 years ago for his own. Have you learned to trust in God for what he's doing behind the scenes of your world? When we approach God with this perspective, it can be a game changer. It can even be the answer we needed all along. Charles Colson, in his book Born Again, related President Nixon's account of a conversation he had with his grandmother as a boy on the subject of talking to God. When I was eight or nine years old, Nixon said, I asked my grandmother, a very saintly woman, a little Quaker lady who had nine children. I asked her why it was that Quakers believed in silent prayer. Nixon continued, her answer was very interesting, and perhaps it relates why Lincoln was noted for praying in silence. My grandmother spoke to me on this occasion, as she always did to her grandchildren and children with the following speech. She said, what thee must understand, Richard, is that the purpose of prayer is to listen to God, not to talk to God. The purpose of prayer is not to tell God what thee wants, but to find out from God what he wants from thee. And you see, when we pray like Daniel, we open our heart and we seek his will. We seek his will 
for our family, for our church, for our community, for our nation? Where is it in your world you desire to know God's will? Someone has said God is still on his throne and man is still on his footstool. There's only a knee's distance in between. The challenge for us is to desire no distance in between. Instead of the attitude of God, look the other way for five minutes. I don't want you to see this. Desire no distance in between. God's people need to know God's will for his people. Right now, we have a financial need for our people. We, we're keeping track of it, right? We've, we've said we need to replace an old, unreliable furnace to the rear of this building. This is just an example. Have we made it our goal to be people who prayerfully take this need before God? Consistently, fervently. Are we really desiring no distance in taking care of things here at Ferris Church of Christ? Do we have the courage to listen to what he may have to say to us? We've mentioned a need in our congregation for a youth minister. Have we made it our goal to be people who are prayerfully taking this need before God consistently, fervently, desiring God's will for our kids, for our older youth, and being a a church that is known for retaining young families? Do we have the courage to listen to God in this manner? Daniel, on his knees for his people, we need people too who will be in fervent prayer. Prayer for our elders, prayer for our deacons, prayer for our church leaders to have the courage to listen for God's spiritual direction for our lives, the lives of the surrounding community. And God has promised he will reveal his will in time due to our words. This is a promise. I could use your fervent prayer for my health the spiritual battles I face, that I would preach the word in and out of season, that the opportunities for evangelism in this community in every direction would continue so that I might do all I might to further God's kingdom before Christ returns a second time. This is no time for us to sit back and wait. Who is willing to tremble before the Lord in prayer? Because that's exactly what it is. Tremble before the Lord in prayer. We need it here. We need it here at Ferris Church of Christ for the, for the faithful who never miss a Sunday communion service, for those we've baptized who somewhere, sometime gone AWOL along the way and won't return a phone call. We can all find spiritual deficits elsewhere that we need to take before God, can't we? In our families, among our close friends, our place is to not give up on spiritual deliverance. Don't waste time asking how long do we pray before we move on when it comes to knowing God's will. Instead, we just pray. We just go right in prayer. We just do it. We petition heaven like Daniel as a people who are greatly loved for whom the Lord is fighting. Fighting. I extend the challenge to you again, brothers and sisters. Will you be committed to being a people under prayer? Under prayer. Verse 21, the last of our text today says this. It says that as God's people, we actually have an angelic protector over us who is the most powerful of them all. His name is Michael. God has actually created and given us the best of the very best when it comes to his powerful forces in the areas we can't see on earth. How does that make you feel? Loved? 
The only way the devil wins in our lives and in the lives of our people is if we quit listening to what he'd say to us. Keep praying. Keep pouring yourself out to heaven. Look at the prophets. Follow their example. Trust in God's protection and his presence for he hears and he responds to every one of our words. Let's go to him now. Oh, Lord, as your people, we thank you for your love. Lord, we thank you for the the generations that you've created and, and sustained. Not because there's any good in us, because we know there isn't, but because you've made us and you've called us good and because you love us and and you've redeemed us. And Lord, you, you fight battles for us. Lord, your word even says that you, you hear our prayers. You know, your spirit is uttering groans that, that we don't understand so that you might in all ways draw closer to us. Lord, we don't always know what we need to pray for. Your word says this as well. We thank you for your intercession on our behalf. We thank you for your always knowing best. Lord, help us to be people who will depend on you on listening to you. Help us, Lord, to to desire to bring our wants and needs before you, understanding and knowing that it's not what we want or or what we think we want, but it's what we know we need. And that's your will in every every part of our lives. Lord, I pray that that each person here would pray. I pray that we we would leave this place and pray more. Be more devoted to it. Be more devoted to you. I pray, Lord, that the, uh, the young people that go from this place, that they would stay devoted to you because of their prayer lives that they've seen in the people at this church. Certainly, Lord, those that we know that are uh, graduating and going off to other areas. Be with them, Lord. Keep them safe. Keep them close to you. Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you for your people. I thank you, Lord, that that we're no longer confined to a building or to uh, walls, but that that curtain was torn, and now we have you with us wherever we go as Christians. Lord, help us to bring everything to you. Lord, we, we can't thank you enough for the price that, we, that was paid for us. In Jesus, we, we see an answer to, to every hardship and, and hang up and hurt that we have. And Lord, you, you, I know you, you don't uh, promise every single answer to us in the timing that, that we'd like. But Lord, we know that you are the answer in, in every way for our life. Help us, Lord, to to leave this place and and be people. Be people of prayer. We know that our families and and communities and and our nation needs it. 
God, I thank you for the freedoms that we do have to, to worship you and, and for those that have made uh, the sacrifice so that we may have those freedoms. Help us, Lord, to remember in all ways that listening to you is the only voice that's going to guide us home. And it is in that uh, precious name of Jesus I pray these things. Amen. As we close up uh, this part of our, our series, next week we're going to be uh, hitting this book one last time for the last two chapters of the book of Daniel uh, in a message called Trouble Coming. And uh, we hope to come back for that. And thank you for your patience as we've spent a few months on this book. Uh, today we have an invitation that we'd like to extend to you in an extension of prayer, seeking God's will for your life. It is his will that you would come back to him. Remember that you hunger and thirst for him. Draw into those waters of baptism and come up a new creation in him. And so that you can begin that journey home. If you haven't done that, I urge you, I urge you to come forward. To come forward. Put on Christ. You get his indwelling Holy Spirit forever. And you get that promise of the Lamb for eternity as well. We invite you to come forward. We're going to stand and sing this song, We Are Hungry.